Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Kerry Clack, columnist, editorial board member. Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter. Metro editor, Greg Jefferson. This is our first podcast in person in the same room uh, in a little more than two years. It's uh, How's everybody feeling about that? None Weird. of you look the way everybody Y'all got no. I mean, it's great. It's <laughs> yeah, Carrie, let's talk about that gray. Let's talk yeah. about that. If anybody starts talking about weight issues, I'm going to get, I'm, we may have to stop. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think we're, we're getting used to the, we're, for those of you who haven't uh, been following, we're in the new office. This is our first official day in the new building um, on Broadway in McCullough, and it's the old San Antonio Light Building. And I, I think everybody, I mean, it's, it's it's cool, but it's it's just a strange this, feeling. This should improve our rapport, I, I would think. I would think so, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm looking for my dogs. Where are my dogs? <laughs> They're normally part of the podcast. Even yeah, Greg was joking before we started that we've basically been doing the, la- the, the podcast for the last two years in our bathrobes, and it's only a slight <laughs> exaggeration. Um, We've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Uvalde, but um, I wanted to start with just kind of an update on the U.S. District 28 race, which everybody's been following. Um, some more numbers have come in. I, th- I think it, it looks pretty clear that, that Henry Cuellar will win. I think the, the, the most recent uh, tallies show him ahead by 281 votes, which is a little more than half of 1%. Um, he actually increased his lead slightly when some of these additional um, ballots came in. Um, so it was an incredibly close race, but I mean, it, it, it looks like he's, he's going to take yeah, it. Yeah, um, and there is a new new uh, development. So Jessica Cisneros is now asking for a recount. So mm-hmm. we'll be doing a by-hand recount. Yeah. Lord knows how long that'll take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And these these rarely uh, reverse, you know, the, yeah. the victory. Unless your name is Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> these things really <laughs> don't ever go. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, I mean, people have pointed out that Henry Cuellar, uh, when he got elected to Congress, it was in a race with Sir Rodriguez, and he was behind by I want to say 145 votes or something like that. And uh, they were able to f- they were able to find some votes there, and he was able to uh, to turn that around. But it's it's unlikely, but um, there will there there will be a recount in that race. I wanted to talk about the the mass shooting in Uvalde. We talked a lot about it last week, and you know one of the big stories in this has been just the pattern of misinformation uh, from law enforcement. You know, of course, we first. I've heard about a, a school resource officer engaging with a shooter that was false. We didn't really get clarity on how long you had officers in the building uh, and, and just basically staying outside the room before they, they, they actually decided to take action. Um, we had uh, a story from uh, DPS director Steve McGraw, which is, I think a, this was a couple, three days after the, the shooting, where he said that the shooter got into the uh, building because a teacher had had propped open a door and that's, he was able to get in that way. Apparently that was not, that was not true. There's been a lot of that. There's also been, I think, increasingly a a sense that law enforcement has been hostile to reporters who are trying to engage with people in the community and get more information. Brian, uh, you were there those first few days, and I know you're going to continue to be covering um, what's going on there. What, What has been your sense about how the, the relationship between law enforcement, the community, and the press who were there trying to do their jobs. Right. So I came in on the ground the day after yeah. it happened. And, you know, there, there was just so much media there. We, um, we were all, uh, everyone was trying to get more information on that second day. And there, there was a DPS spokesman there who, who I was trying to, to get just the, the basic facts about what had happened. And what he told me turned out to be uh, inaccurate. 
Um, it, we we learned it was inaccurate the uh, later that day when Governor Abbott held the press conference and the facts changed slightly. Uh, we talked about the the school yep. uh, resource officer out front who initially the the first DPS spokesman told me that the guy had uh, um, uh, f- fired at him and uh, that there was an exchange of gunfire. Um, then at the press conference, uh, Stephen McCraw, the DPS director, uh, said that the, the, there wasn't uh, they were engaged, but there was no exchange of gunfire at all. And so that changed the story. And then the very next day, we find out there was no school resource officer at all. So, I mean, you, you start to wonder if you can believe anything that law enforcement are telling you uh, to begin with. So when you when you talk about the relationship between the press and law enforcement, it, it you start to realize that uh, what they are telling you as as fact might not actually be fact, which is very problematic. I haven't been down there uh, to cover the funerals, but what I've heard is that they're blocking photographers from uh, being able to actually, you know, see the 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 funeral procession or the, uh, the like parking fire trucks. And, and there, there's apparently uh, multiple, multiple police departments from, from the area who have converged on, in this, on this small town of Uvalde. And um, officers from these various departments are uh, intimidating reporters and photographers, uh, even though they are standing on public streets and they have every legal right to, to be there and try to speak with, with citizens and residents of Uvalde. Um, uh, they're being harassed and intimidated into uh, and blocked from actually accessing um, or conversing with people in the street. And, and, and Greg, you know, you know, this is obviously always a sensitive uh, time. Uh, there's a lot of the community is going through a lot of pain. And, and, and I think everyone wants to be sensitive to what the families are going through. But I'm not aware of any stories of journalists crossing the line or being insensitive, harassing people. Um, no, no, we've heard nothing like that. And certainly, I mean, the the photojournalists and the reporters from the Express News on the ground, you know, they've they've conducted themselves responsibly. They've not, you know, they're not chasing down mourners <laughs> on the street. Uh, you know, we're approaching this very respectfully. But, you know, this is, you know, this is a, a huge tragedy that calls out for for coverage. I mean, you know, it's it's what we do, and I think it's what the the broader community needs. So they're just trying to do their jobs, and what we're finding is, uh, you know, in addition to police departments from all across the state. I mean, we're talking about South Lake, Allen, Tomball, Del Rio, Lubbock, and others. Uh, they're there basically creating a wall between reporters and uh, and funeral services, you know, events that, you know, we have a right and a responsibility to cover. But not only that, I mean, we have the Uvalde Fire Department line, I mean, they're essentially barricading funeral homes and churches, you know, lining up, you know, fire trucks to obscure all sight lines into the property. I mean, you know, we've, we've, you know, these are, these are, this is private property. We respect private property. If we're told to stay out of the service, we're staying out. We have every right to be on a public right of way. We have every right to be on sidewalks and that's what we're being blocked from doing. Um, You know, and if you step back, I mean, think about, you know, think about the Uvalde police department. There are at least two investigations underway into the police response. Uh, Uvalde police are 
integral to those investigations, and nobody thinks they're going to turn out well. These are going to be very embarrassing, probably very damning uh, reports once it's done. And so you have to question what the police department's motivation is in keeping reporters away from Uvalde residents. Uh, I mean, is it is it really all about uh, respecting the privacy of the victims' families and friends? Is it in part also to make sure you know, you know, those family members, those friends, and other Uvalde residents who are upset? about the police response, don't talk to the media about it. Yeah, protecting themselves or protecting the people. Right, and the, right. The, those two things that we talked about are, are connected. The fact that the, the facts aren't necessarily true that they, right. give, that they give you uh, in these official press conferences and these official statements, and then you are unable to attempt to corroborate what they're saying with folks who, with witnesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, the fact that this, with this um, sort of hostility to the press has has really like ratcheted up in the last few days. After all the criticism they got, you have to you have to feel like there's some kind of connection, right, Gary? Yeah. It, you know, I I said last week that um, Uvalde felt different in a way that George Floyd felt different, and that it might uh, be the one that brings us closer to something, and not knowing how. Yeah. But you know what the past week has shown is that what's one of the things that tragically. Uh, ironic that is going to make Uvalde different is the response of law enforcement, and and the way they just aggravate this. I mean, it makes no sense what they're doing. And I hadn't thought about something until Greg was just now talking about uh, about keeping the family from speaking to the to the media. But you know, we look at it as a way of. Of, of barricading the media and 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 being hostile t- to us, but it's what about if it is intimidating the families? And if this is how law enforcement and and and, and leadership in Uvalde behaves in the wake of you know mass murder where nineteen children and two teachers were killed, and how the hell were they treating these pe- these people before? Right, because I mean you you have to you, you have to imagine that. Some of these mourners, some of these parents who have been through hell uh, would want to maybe speak to the media and share their story and share their, their children's story. They or, the, a lot yeah. of them have the same questions that we do. Mm-hmm. Right. They do. And I mean, it's not as though we've not heard from them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we've included it in, you know, we've included families in our coverage and it's been, you know, mm-hmm. among all of the major media outlets. I mean, they we've, we've all spoken with friends and family of the victims. And I mean, these, these are not interviews granted under duress. Mm -hmm. Like they've, they've wanted to talk to the media. They have something to say. And, you know, we're, we should be there to listen to them, but we're being blocked in this case. And the Rubios are testifying before Congress this Mm -hmm. week. Lexi's, Mm -hmm. Lexi's parents are Mm going to be testifying. I want to talk a little bit about the, the government response to this, the state government response. Um, there have been calls uh, for a special session to deal with with gun violence. Uh, State Senator Roland Gutierrez, whose district includes Uvalde and who's been a, uh, a constant presence there, um, he went up at a press conference a couple of days after the the, the Beto O'Rourke uh, press conference. He went up and and he also challenged uh, Governor Abbott and said, you know, you need to call us back and. Uh, so we, the response from Greg Abbott was, uh, it was not surprising, but uh, last Wednesday, 
he sent a letter to uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Speaker of the House Dave Phelan and um, wanted to, it, this, this reads to me like a show that he's taking some action, but he's not giving uh, people like Roland Gutierrez what they've wanted. So he asked that there be uh, special committees appointed by both the Lieutenant Governor and, um, and Speaker Phelan uh, looking at school safety, mental health, social media, police training. He did include firearm safety. I don't know exactly what he has in mind by that because he's he's been he's not shown much willingness to to uh, to consider uh, gun reform. Um, Roland Gutierrez has has been left off the Senate committee, which seems to be it's kind of typical of what with what we see in uh, in Texas politics that uh, you know if you uh, if you kind of go uh, go up against the the big dogs, you know they're gonna they're gonna punish you in some way. Um, uh, four days after, I'm sorry, three days after that, we got a letter from Nelson Wolf to Governor Abbott, and he's he called for the special session. His suggestions were uh, he had these these reform proposals, uh, raising the age f- uh, from 18 to 21 for semi-automatic weapons, uh, red flag laws so judges can uh, temporarily take weapons uh, from uh, from people who are perceived as a danger to themselves or others, uh, licenses to carry firearms universal background checks, and state funding for school security upgrades. Um, Carrie, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's looking, I don't think it looks real promising on the, on the, the state front that we're going to, we're going to see some action. We'll see what, where these committees go, but I mean, this is such an urgent problem. Um, you know, what's your reaction to this? No, I agree. I don't think anything is going to happen. Uh, the, the special sessions that he called last year, they weren't preceded by, by forming committees, legislative right. committees. He just called them because he wanted to. And it's obviously a stalling tactic. And then it gets petty when you leave off the, the state senator who represents that district and who has been quite vocal, justifiably so. Um, it, it's a stalling tactic, but again, it's, it's, it's one of these things that eventually it's going to, no pun intended, blow up in their face because there's going to be another shooting. And then what are they going to do? It's going to be another shooting in Texas. It's going to be another shooting, uh, you know, probably while Greg Abbott is still governor. Uh, so what's he going to do then? Yeah. And, you know, the uh, I mean, the the message that we've heard from Governor Abbott and I think from most uh, Republican leaders in Texas and, and around the country has been the focus on we need to do more about mental health. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. But as we've talked about on this podcast, Governor Abbott cut $211 million uh, in funding. For the commission that that oversees mental health in the state, he has refused to expand Medicaid, federal money that could be some of which could be allocated for mental health. So there really hasn't been anything, uh, uh, any substance behind these words. Um, they also talk about school safety. We talked about this last week. You can, if you do the Ted Cruz thing of having one door and everything is locked, how are you going to do that at, at, a, at a supermarket? How are you going to do that at a Walmart? How are you going to do that at a church? We're seeing shoot mass shootings at all these places. You can't lock up everything. Um, we have to. There, I would. It's so frustrating. There's not at least an open mind to saying it doesn't have. You know, we can look at we can look at mental health. We can look at at, at school safety. We can look at various things. But how can we not at least consider the accessibility of guns in this this country? I mean, it's 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 frustrating because because I mean, it's, again, I think short of, short of at this point, uh, defeats in November, 
that that's that's the only way. And you know, one and part of me is want to say I don't want to make this political, but hell, it already is political. And uh, and and if you have if you have leadership that is determined not to do anything, uh, then the only thing we have as Texans is the fact that we have an election coming up in five months. Now. I mean, I don't care how you feel about Beto, but maybe it's, if you if, if if you feel stronger uh, about gun violence than you do against Beto or whatever, uh, I just don't know what other things we can do as Texans to change this at this point. I mean, I think the age of the of the assailant in Uvalde and Buffalo, for that matter, mm-hmm. eighteen years old. I think that that should be a red flag and an alarm that that uh, should indicate that perhaps that's the first place you start, you know? It, like, as, as we've talked about, I mean, it's like, you know, if you can buy a beer in a, a store, you can't buy a beer till you're 21. <laughs> the idea that you can, you know, you can get like an assault style weapon yeah. at 18 is uh, it's kind of absurd. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm like a lot of us. I, I have almost no faith that governor Abbott is going to do the right thing. I think just just think back to the Friday after the shooting. He he was on the ground in Uvalde saying, will there be laws resulting from the shooting? Yes, there will be. And at the same time, there you know, there was a pre-recorded message from Abbott at the NRA convention in Houston in which he said there are no laws that have prevented mass shootings to date and yeah, it's not going to happen. And I think, you know, we had an editorial in the Express News over the weekend that mm-hmm. I think very smartly pointed out that those aren't co- contradictory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, you know, those two statements can kind of fit together if if there's a special session called by Governor Abbott that touches every other aspect, mm-hmm. but actual gun control. And I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And he's, you know, it's totally within his power to set the parameters of a special session. Yeah. That was, that was a great editorial. And and, 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 and yeah. give Josh Podesky credit for writing an editorial page editor and Josh Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I get a, a lot of emails about this and, and we, we, we hear this a lot, you know, this idea that they're coming, the government wants to take our guns. They're coming in and taking our guns. And I think one of the things that, that frustrates me about it, and I, and I will sometimes respond with emails to people if, you know, when, when this comes up, because I, I do think it's it's worth talking about is that if you look at the history of the gun issue in this country, and we're really talking about probably about the last 60 years or so, there has never been a gun law or a major piece of gun reform legislation that proposed taking guns away from people. I mean, if you really go back to like, like 63, Oswald shoots Kennedy. Oswald obtained the rifle by mail order, so there was a push. Let's let's get a let's get a bill to make sure that it's not so easy for people to just like order something by mail and get a rifle. So we had, but again, that was regulating future purchases, uh, mail order purchases. Everything else that we've seen, whether it was waiting periods, that was for future purchases of guns. Um, uh, universal background checks, future pur- purchases, even the assault weapons ban, which was in place for ten years before Republicans in two thousand four. Uh, blocked uh, continuing it, even that was really for the future sale and manufacture uh, manufacturing of assault weapons. It wasn't taking anything away. Now, I do know we, Beth O'Rourke in 2019, at the height of the emotion over the El Paso shooting, said, yes, I'm going to, I'll take, we're going to take your assault weapons. He's talking about a mandatory uh, buyback program. Um, you know, but I mean, he, this was something, he look, he didn't, Dropped out of the presidential race three months before the first primary uh, primary election. This is no pre- uh, 
presidential nominee has ever talked about taking people's guns away. All the proposals have always been about what can we do to regulate, even what you're talking about, Brian, you know, raising the age from 18 to 21 uh, for, for certain weapons. You're talking about regulating future purchases. We're not talking about government, you know, knocking on your door and coming in and taking your weapons away. And I just think that it's important that it, because it, it's just this myth that's out there all the time. It's the biggest myth. And, and, and it's, it's, it's also, it's just frustrating that the, uh, the, uh, the biggest acolytes and defenders of the second amendment, uh, they depend except for the words real regulated. Those are also in the word. That's and, right. if, and if you look at the history of, of guns in the United States, there's always been some form of regulation. And you go back to those militias that is, that is spoken about in the second amendment, those militias, I mean, those were, they, they the, the men, the men in those militias, they, those were their private weapons, but those guns were registered by the colonial governments. So there's always been a history, and it's a it's a straw man that we. That's right. Because no one is going to say that, even if we feel that way. We want all guns taken away. Yeah. No one's no one's. It's a fear tactic. Yeah. Um, Before we wrap things up, I wanted to briefly mention the we had a rally here in San Antonio on Saturday. The Voto Latino had a had a rally on. It was a stand with Uvalde rally. We had uh, Beth O'Rourke here, the Democratic nominee for governor. We had uh, both the Castro brothers, uh, Julian and and Joaquin. Uh, Roland Gutierrez was there. And others, um, and the, the I think think for me the most noteworthy one was uh, Spurs coach Greg Popovich because he certainly has expressed his political views. Uh, you know, particularly during the Trump era, he said a lot of things, but a lot it, it tended to be uh, when he was talking to the press before a game, after the game, you know, maybe after practice. It was usually in that context. I don't remember him speaking at a rally before. I could be wrong about that, but it's not something that you really uh, I really associate with with him so much. But I mean, he looked really confident up there and he was very passionate and talking about how basically we got to vote and we got to keep electing the same, I think, what, 50, 60 and 70 year old white men and they keep doing the same things. And like, I mean, any reactions to, to, to seeing pop up there basically on the, the political stage? I mean, I, I mean, I used to think of him as uh, your grumpy old grandpa, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, yeah. in, in the age of. <laughs> this was actually before Trump, but then Trump came into the office and you did see you saw pump, uh, pop change. Yeah. I mean, you know, his he became more passionate, uh, a little better spoken. I mean, he's kind yeah. of a, you know, yeah. he's just yeah. kind of a normal guy, but definitely he's passionate. He's more focused. And I think what we saw on Saturday was even like even more of a of a progression for yeah. him. Like I think he's, you know, I think he clearly was, you know, he felt what happened in Uvalde, I think deeply. Yeah. Um and I think he conveyed that like in a really crystal clear mm-hmm. way. To the people he was talking with, and I think if everybody there, I mean, who was going to disagree with him? Yeah. I mean, yeah. for one thing, it's pop, but <laughs> second of all, I think he was right. You know? yeah. You're right. I, I don't think he's ever spoken at a rally before. It's always those comments have always come in interviews before, after games. You know, the, you know the way Steve Kerr's passion came out last week. Yeah. You know, before the game, and uh, yeah, I think you know pops maybe 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 he's going to coach one more year, and and I, I think he's just not that I don't think Pop has ever felt. Inhibited, mm-hmm. but I think obviously he's feeling uh, uh, less inhibited. And again, this is something that he's a grandfather. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah. I don't think he's going to run for anything, but I, I think this will probably get people a little more uh, get people talking about that. Twenty four, the Senate. Yeah. I mean, he's he's universally beloved in San Antonio. Well, maybe not universally. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. 
And I mean, you know, there will be there will be talk about a, a Popovich Kerr uh, <laughs> ticket in 2024 or something. Uh, Biden doesn't. Uh, doesn't. Um, well, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, and I wanted to say before we, we do, I mean, for you all who've been hanging in there with us the last two years, it's you know, it's obviously it's it's challenging to do the, the podcast virtually. And I, I think it's going to we're all going to be more comfortable doing it this way. But we appreciate you hanging in with us through that time and, and hope everyone's doing well. And uh, we'll be back next week. Take care. <laughs>